All right, just by way of a, a simple review, uh, if we can get our map up here, um, I, I don't have any more to pass out. Are we there? Oh, we got it. We're doing well. Uh, beginning in, in Acts chapter 16, we saw the Apostle Paul made the cross from this region here known as Asia. If we can turn the light above the, the screen off, uh, it'll make it easier for people to see. If you can help us with that, guys. Thank you. This is the area known as Asia, and that's where Paul went on his first missions journey. And by the direction of the Lord, here at this place called Troas, he crossed the Aegean Sea and, and ended up in the city of Philippi. All of Acts chapter 16 deals with the establishment of the great church there to whom the book of Philippians was written. From Philippi, he, uh, he traveled uh, south a little bit and he ended up in Thessalonica. And uh, if you look at Acts chapter 17, we, we see a little bit of his ministry. And I'm going to just point this out and then we're going to move forward tonight. Verse uh, 1 of Acts 17, now when they, that's Paul's team, had passed through Amphipolis in Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews. Remember, Paul was a Jewish man uh, who understood that Jesus was the Messiah the Jewish people were waiting for. He had gotten saved. Um, and he always, every city he went into, if there was a synagogue, that is where he started out. The Jewish people had the scriptures. We call what they believe, uh, we call that the Old Testament of our Bible. Um, and those scriptures had all of the promises and the prophecies about the coming of Christ. So he would go into the synagogue and in verse 2, we see what Paul did every time he went into one of their synagogues. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them in three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Remember in Paul's day, the Jewish people were looking for their Messiah, but they were looking for a Messiah who was going to rule and reign and overthrow the hated Roman Empire. They were looking for a king. Now, the Bible says he is coming back as a king. He will do that. But before he came to reign, he came to suffer and to die on the cross. He came to be a redeemer first. And that was all in the same scriptures of the Old Testament that prophesied and promised about him coming to rule and reign. But the average Jewish person of Paul's day had missed that. They, they didn't see that. So when Paul went in, he opened the scriptures. He was not expressing his opinion. Uh, he was showing them from their scriptures that Christ needed to come and suffer, die, and be raised again. And then number two, that this man Jesus of Nazareth was the fulfillment of all those prophecies, and he was that Messiah. So from that verse or those few verses in Acts 17, every time we read in the book of Acts, Paul going into a synagogue, we now know exactly what he did because the Bible said, as his manner was. Paul wasn't in Thessalonica for very long, three Sabbath days. There were a few of the Jewish people that believed and a great multitude of Greek people believed. Um, the unbelieving Jewish people rose up against him caused a riot in the city, and uh, the, 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 new, the new converts, that new church just started, they, uh, they got him out of the city for his own well-being, 
And he left Thessalonica and he traveled down here to the city of Berea, about 60 miles away. Um, Paul did the same thing again. Uh, the Bible says of the people at Berea in that synagogue that they were more noble than the ones up in Thessalonica. Uh, the word noble means they had a higher level of integrity. There are a lot of people who say, well, I know what I believe. I don't really care what the Bible says. That's kind of what Paul encountered up in Thessalonica. At Berea, they said, we care what the Bible says. And this was new to them. Remember, there's not social media. There's not mass media of any kind. So the events of the life uh, and the ministry, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ had not come uh, to this part of the world at all. And so this is brand new to them uh, and so forth. And they wanted to make sure that this Paul was teaching them according to the scriptures. We saw the Bible says in verse 11 of Acts 17, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. I mean, they opened their Bible. They wanted to know, is this right? Is this true? They weren't trying to find a loophole or a way out. They weren't trying to disprove Paul. They just wanted to make sure that he was teaching them correctly. And once they understood that, verse 12, therefore many of them believed. In Thessalonica, some of them believed. The multitude didn't. In Berea, many of them believed. And another church is established there. We don't know anything else about it uh, other than those few verses in Acts 17. But what we do know is the unbelieving Jewish people from Thessalonica traveled 60 miles just to stir up trouble. Um, it's not enough that they weren't going to believe. They didn't want anybody else believing as well. Um, and the believers in Berea sent Paul away. Uh, on his own, he left Timothy and Silas there to further establish the, the new believers in their faith, get them grounded. And he came to the city of Athens. And the there it is, right down here. Uh, and the rest of Acts 17 deals with that. We studied that for about two weeks. Athens was an ancient city by the time Paul got there. Uh, a storied reputation, the center of, of learning, and philosophy, uh, much of what the ancient world knew about medicine and science, mathematics, all types of things came from the city of Athens. It was a city wholly given to idolatry. Uh, on the famed Mars Hill, the ruins of which still stand today at the top of it was the Parthenon uh, and so forth. Uh, they had uh, idols and temples to every god and goddess you can imagine. They worshiped the forces of nature. And when Paul saw this idolatry, he wasn't, he wasn't carried away by the majesty uh, of the buildings. Remember, in Paul's day, these weren't ruins like they are today. Um, they, they were in their glory. Uh, the Parthenon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, Paul wasn't carried away by the splendor of all of that. He was stirred in his spirit when he saw the idolatry and all these people enslaved to that. Um, some of the, the people there, remember, they called a, a Paul together with them, and they, uh, they said, uh, they called him a babbler. What's the meaning of the word babbler? Anybody remember? 
Seed. You slept through last Wednesday night. Uh, it means a seed picker. Just, just somebody that it's a, it's a, it's a put down. Uh, that this is just some guy, some, some guy fresh from the farm. He's some hillbilly guy. He's an uneducated rube, that type of thing. Um, and they said, well, let, let's hear what this babbler has to say. And then the Bible goes on to say that they were the ones that uh, were really the seed pickers because they did nothing but sit around all day hoping to hear something new, or to tell something new. Uh, if they live today, they'd be the ones putting all the new, the new memes on Facebook, okay? Um, and Paul began to preach to them. He had found a, uh, an altar there on Mars Hill, and the inscription on the altar was to the unknown God. He said, uh, you worship everything, he said, but you wanted to make sure you didn't miss one, so you have to the unknown God. Let me tell you about this God that you don't know anything about, and he, he began to teach them about God as the creator, God as the, the sustainer of their lives, and how God had sent his Savior to them. Um, and uh, most of these people, they mocked him. Uh, they, they, they just thought this idea of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, the, the doctrine of the resurrection, uh, was foolishness. Uh, and so forth, but in verse 34 verse, uh, of chapter 17, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. A few people got saved here. Among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite. Remember the Areopagus was the judicial center of Athens. It's where all the laws were passed out. That title, the Areopagite, uh, means he was called in that day and age one of the twelve. We have nine Supreme Court justices, okay? One of the 12 would put him in that realm of influence and authority and power in the city of Athens. So this was a well-respected man with great authority and, and a great influence. He believed in God saved. Uh, the early church fathers teach that Dionysius became the pastor of this small church uh, that was established there uh, in Athens. A woman named Damaris and others got saved. And that's all we know about the ministry of Athens. Now we come to chapter 18. We're sort of caught up. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. He's still by himself. His team, uh, Luke is up in Thessalonica, Silas and Timotheus, uh, they are in Berea. And so Paul travels here from Athens to the city of Corinth. Corinth is built on an isthmus, an isthmus. That's a stretch of land, a piece of land that connects two other larger pieces of land. Um, it, it has a seaport on both the eastern side and the western side. Uh, Corinth was in its day a very wealthy and well-known city. Uh, to give you a little bit of historical background, it helps us understand everything that's going to happen in this city. Uh, Corinth was destroyed by the Romans uh, about 150 years before Christ, 146 BC. Uh, they had risen up uh, in, in revolt against the budding Roman Empire and uh, Rome retaliated and they leveled the city to the ground. When Julius Caesar 
of the famed Shakespeare play uh, came to power in AD 46. He actually rebuilt the city of Corinth because he saw that its location made it uh, a very important trade route uh, between the, uh, Asia and the uh, country of Rome. And so he rebuilt it and he gave it status as a not only a Roman colony, but he placed a Roman official there that was called a proconsul. Proconsul is, uh, is bigger than a governor. Pilate was the governor of, of Palestine in Jesus' day, uh, like our governor oversees the state of Connecticut. A proconsul perhaps would have overseen all of New England, and he would have had authority over an entire region of many states. And Julius Caesar established uh, Corinth as the seat of a proconsul. Um, it, was, uh, it, it had those two harbors. Uh, Corinth was famous in its day for the worship of Venus. Uh, Venus. Uh, the Greeks referred to her as Aphrodite. Um, in, the, in the Phoenician vernacular, she was known as Ashtoreth. You find that name in the Old Testament of your Bible over and over and over again. In the ancient world, they tend to worship the same gods and goddesses. They just gave them different names based on where they were. Uh, there is a book that is called The Two Babylons uh, by a man named Alexander Hilsop. It was written in the 1800s. Uh, I read it one summer uh, in, when I was in Bible college uh, just for fun. It is not a fun read. It is not at all. It is extremely well-researched. It is filled with ancient history. Uh, and it goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel in Bible days. And it traces the expanse of false religion all over the world. We're talking including the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Chinese, the Incas, the Mayas, the Aztecs in the New World, even the American Indians. Uh, and the gods, the goddesses that they worship all have the same characteristics, all have the same background, all have the same relationship. It can all be traced back uh, to the Tower of Babel and a man named Nimrod. So it doesn't surprise us to find out that the Greeks are worshiping the same goddess that the Phoenicians did that were a plague to God's people throughout the Old Testament. Um, the temple of Venus in the city of Corinth uh, was so massive, it would have covered a couple of city blocks. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to be appropriate here. We have a mixed group. We have young people here. But the worship of Venus required the employment of 1,000 temple prostitutes, both male and female. It was a vile, vulgar, pagan religion. And it was only one of many in the city of Corinth. The Corinthian lifestyle was so well known that all throughout the Roman world, uh, the, if they said you are behaving like a Corinthian, it meant that you were an, an immoral, licentious person. I mean, it was the worst thing that could ever be said about per, a, a person. Man, you're, you're a Corinthian in your behavior, that type of thing. In addition to their false religion, uh, the Corinthians also 
uh, became the centerpiece of the ancient Olympic Games. Though they were started elsewhere, uh, the most famous of the Olympian Games were called the Isthmian Games, named after Isthmus, that little stretch of land upon which Corinth was built. The Temple of Neptune had a stadium attached to it that could seat about 50,000 people. You know, we got the idea that these people lived in mud huts and, you know, that type of thing. And, but their, their technology and their architecture uh, was vastly superior to anything that we understand of them. Uh, Corinth today, uh, in, in modern day terminology, would have been like one giant red light district. Okay? Athens was given holy to idolatry. They worshipped every idol and god, goddess, and force of nature under the sun and Corinth did much the same, but they took it to a degree of immorality that made it just a disgusting place to be. It was a massive city, probably a half a million people strong because people came from around the world to trade, to buy, to sell. Acts chapter 18 and verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Uh, Paul is not traveling on a whim. We know from Acts 16, he is following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, going where God wants him to go. God doesn't always call us to easy places. Athens wasn't an easy place. It was a place of intellectual superiority on their, mind, on their minds. And sadly, those people by and large rejected the gospel. Now he's going to a wicked place that is not only known for idolatry, but just of the, the lowest immoral kind of standard of living. But you understand, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the what? World, there's no place that is beyond the scope of God's love. Paul is going to start a ministry in Corinth that, that uh, next to the city of Ephesus, will be his longest ministry in his entire life. When my wife and I got married, God called us to upstate New York, uh, to the town of Palmyra near Rochester. And every place I've gone, I went with the idea that I'm going to spend the rest of my life here. We only stayed there for seven years, and seven years to the day we left and went to Pennsylvania to start a church. We were there, and again, I, I thought I'd be there for the rest of my life, Six and a half years later, God brought us here. Now, God's let us stay here a little longer. Uh, this year will be 25 years. Um, and, and all those things, just trying to follow the leadership of the Lord. Now, Paul, uh, his is much different than that. You know, three weeks here and a few weeks there and a few days here, that type of thing. But he's going to go to Corinth and he's going to be there for a, a couple of years. He's going to put down some roots there. I want you to notice, first of all, he comes into the city in verse 2, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because the Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. Anti-Semitism is not a new thing. We, we tend to think it, it's something of our century or the last century. You know, Adolf Hitler was a famous uh, for his anti-Semitism and his, his final solution to get rid of the Jewish race. But you understand it, it goes, it goes all the way back to ancient Egypt. 
uh, Pharaoh tried to destroy uh, the, the Jewish people in the days when Moses was born. In, in the days of Esther in the Persian Empire, a man named Haman tried to wipe out the Jewish race. The Romans had their periods of anti-Semitism. Um, and uh, Claudius was the emperor uh, of Rome after Caesar Augustus passed away. Claudius would be uh, succeeded by a man named Caligula. How many have heard of him? That name means little boots. Uh, a vile, vile individual is eventually assassinated and so forth. And somehow um, Claudius turned his attention against Jews and he banished them from Rome. He made them leave the city. He didn't actually persecute them as far as trying to put them in prison or, or kill them or whatever, like Pharaoh did, like the Persians tried to do. Uh, he just banished them and said, I want them out of the capital city of Rome. Two of those people left were husband and wife, Aquila. His wife's name was Priscilla. And Paul has found them when he comes in, verse 3, because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought for by their occupation, they were tent makers. The uh, tradition is that in ancient times, uh, all of the rabbis taught their sons a trade. That uh, their, their, their goal was for their son to grow up to be a rabbi, a teacher uh, in a synagogue somewhere, but that uh, it was noble for them to also have a trade to work with their hands and provide for their families. So we find by this that Paul's, tra uh, Paul's trade that he grew up learning was to be a tent maker. While many people lived in homes, there were still many, many nomadic peoples, uh, that type of thing. So it was something that was very much uh, in demand. And so he found these two people and they were of the same craft and Paul builds a relationship with them. We don't know if Aquila and Priscilla were saved when Paul met them. The Bible never tells us about that. But they became very, very important uh, in, in his, if you will, his life and ministry. And they're mentioned several times in our Bible. Keep your place here. 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians is a letter written back to the church that Paul's going to start in Corinth. And in chapter 16... Um, when Paul closed his letter there, he is sending them greetings from people that they might know. Verse, verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 16, the churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. So whether they traveled with Paul and went back uh, when he went over to the city of Ephesus uh, which is in that region of Asia, or they went on their own, we're not sure, but they, have, they apparently either started a church or opened up their home and let the church meet in their house. Uh, I have a friend that I went to Bible college with, uh, and he and his wife and children went uh, to, uh, I want to say Guadalajara, Mexico, and they started a church. And for the first couple of years, the church just met in their home. They were able to rent a very, very large home. Uh, they were running about two to 300 people every Sunday that were meeting in their house. How many of you ladies would love having 200 people come to your house? Of course, they were using the backyard. They were using the garage, every room that was available, that type of thing. And apparently that's what Priscilla and Aquila did. Second Timothy chapter four. 
2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul's very, very last letter before he went to heaven. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 19, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy's pastoring in the city of Ephesus. Salute Prisca, that's short for Priscilla and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. So these people, Paul first met them in Corinth. Decades later, they are still serving the Lord. Decades later, there's a church in their house. These people had longevity, uh, that type of thing. So Paul has met these individuals back in chapter 18. He abides with them. They're of the same craft. And while he's working with them, remember his team's not there yet. The Bible says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So he just continues that pattern. Um, I'm sure that Aquila and Priscilla, because they are Jewish, are going to the synagogue with him. If they were not saved when Paul came to the city of Corinth, undoubtedly they got saved shortly after he was there. So he's continuing that ministry there. Verse 5, And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia... Remember, Macedonia is this region this, in the orange up here in the north. Achaia is the region in the south. Um, Timothy and, and Silas uh, were up here in Berea. They've now traveled down and they're meeting Paul in Corinth. He's been all by himself. Um, that had to be kind of lonely to be in a place where you don't know anyone. A few years ago, my wife and I did a missions trip. We went to England uh, and we were in two locations there. And then we flew over to Germany uh, to be with our daughter and son-in-law. And we went to a, a church there in Schweinfurt, Germany uh, with them. In England, we could understand pretty much what anybody was saying anywhere around us. They had their own colloquialisms and so forth. But uh, other than the accent, we knew what everybody was talking about. In Germany, we understood nothing. Um, and whether or not they could understand us, we have no idea. They just all pretended they didn't speak English, you know, that type of thing. Um, and, and Trina and I remember Trina and I talking, this would be really hard to come over here by yourself. We knew Dylan and Sarah, but we knew nobody else and we didn't know the language. Now, Greek was the language of the entire Roman world. So Paul could converse with anybody, but he's walked into a city. He has no friends there. He has no family there. He has no ties there. Um, he's all by himself. He meets uh, Priscilla and Aquila. He uh, begins to work with them. Uh, apparently, they got saved at some point on that. He's preached in the synagogue. But finally, after several months, here comes uh, uh, Silas and Timothy. Uh, and, and that had just been a, a great reunion for him. Uh, notice again verse 5. When Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia... Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Uh, there was something about uh, uh, Timothy and Silas coming down there that just re-energized Paul, that just uh, refreshed, if you will, his spirit. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17, that iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. If we are the right kind of friend, we will make our friends be better people. We will encourage them. 
in the things of the Lord. We'll build them up. We'll draw them to Christ. We'll, we'll help them be better. Um, that, that's, that's what we do. Because my training schedule got interrupted normally, I train with Sam on Mondays, and I was in Boston on Monday. Uh, we were supposed to meet yesterday, and the snowstorm canceled that. Sam reached out to me last night and said, could you come over today at noon? He is, he is training another gentleman who was an amputee, a uh, double amputee, and he said, um, I think it would do, and he, he gave the gentleman's name, a world of good if he could just spend a little bit of time with you. And so I, I told Sam that I'd be glad to do that. And so I, I went over uh, to Meriden uh, at noon today and, and went up there and uh, uh, talked to this fellow. And I could tell the moment I saw this guy uh, that he was struggling with the whole issue of being a double amputee, uh, amputee, trying to find his way back, trying to get his strength. I, I mean, it was just just all over him. Um, I, I wasn't there to teach him how to work out. That, that was Sam's job. My job was just try to give him hope, just to try to encourage him that his life didn't end when he lost his legs. That uh, what, what used to be normal is gone and is not coming back, but that the new normal is not a bad thing. Now, I didn't have a lot of time with him. I will have more time uh, in, in future weeks now that I've had an initial contact with him. But the whole idea is I want to be a blessing. I want to be an encouragement. That's what Silas and Timothy did for Paul. There's no evidence that Paul was discouraged, that Paul was faltering in his faith. But there was just something about getting the team back together that bolstered him and his testimony for Christ just went to an entirely new level. Do you and I have that kind of influence on the people around us? The people that we come in contact with us, are they more excited about the Lord after meeting us and spending time with us than they were before? Are they more, more uh, excited about learning the Bible and going to church and getting involved? Uh, iron sharpened with iron. If, if we're the kind of friend we ought to be, that ought to be the result of our influence. Keep your place here. Turn to 1 Corinthians again. 1 Corinthians 15. By the time Paul wrote this letter back to the church at Corinth, they'd had some false teachers come in and the people were wavering just a little bit. Look at verse 33. Paul's addressing the, the false teachers and, and, and some of those things. He says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Can't hang around the wrong kind of people and end up being the right kind of person. Proverbs 13, 20, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Uh, we have to stop at this point and ask ourselves, if we were Silas and Timothy, exactly as we are right now, and we showed up in Corinth with Paul, would he have been encouraged more than ever to serve the Lord? Or would we have just been a downer? Would we have given him reason to be discouraged and, and, and want to maybe even quit and walk away? 
we all have influence. How are we using it? We've got our teenagers in, in the room tonight. What kind of an influence are you in the youth group? As we run the buses again, and uh, our bus kids are coming in on Sundays, they're coming in on Fridays and so forth. Uh, are you sharpening them for the Lord? Or are you just pushing them away because you don't know them and they're different from you? People that hang around you, are they, do they become critical? Do they become mean? Or do they get involved? Do they get excited about being a part of the youth activity? Do they sing when it's time to sing? Do they uh, uh, open their Bible when it's time to open their Bible? What kind of an influence are you? You're one, of, one or the other. You're, you're either, they're walking, when they walk with you, they're either walking with a wise person or they're a companion of a fool. So which is it? By the way, moms and dads, a lot of what these younger people learn, they're learning it from us. So what pattern, what example are we setting before them? So Timothy and Silas show up. Notice what the Bible says in verse 5. Paul was pressed in the spirit. He was pressed in the spirit. Now we're going to look at that word pressed in a moment, but go back to chapter 17, verse 16. This is when Paul first goes into Athens. Now while Paul waited for them, that's Silas, and Timotheus at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. When we looked up the word stirred in that verse about his spirit, it means that his insides, if you will, were in an uproar. I've told you before, there's an individual that, um, that goes to the gym where I do. Lots of gym stories tonight. I wasn't here Sunday. I didn't get to regale you with any. So I got to get it out of my system tonight. But there was a guy there. I see him there quite often. Uh, he, he pretty much lives there by his kind of his own testimony. He has to have one of the most vile minds and vile mouths of anybody that I've been around. He would walk up to me. Um, I, I think he's probably a little younger than I am. So I'm 35. He's probably 30, give or take 30 years. Uh, he's a little younger than I am by his own witness. He is a married man. Uh, he's got children. But he told me in no uncertain terms, I come here to check out the women. And the stuff he says is vile. There have been more than one occasion that some of the young ladies from our church have been there working out and I've seen him start to look in that direction and I've just stopped my workout. I don't even like being near the guy. I feel like I need to go take a shower when I'm done. Um, uh, but I'm just there so that if he says anything, uh, I can just take my leg off and hit him with it or something like that. I, there, there's... There's something about the way he is that sets my insides on an uproar. How many understand what I'm saying? When Paul saw the city of Athens and all of this idolatry, that's what it did to him. It, it just stirred him up in the inside. It gave him a sense of terrible unease and, and so forth. And he just had to speak out against it and warn these people and present Christ to them. That's what it means to be stirred in the spirit, chapter 18, verse 5 again. When Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, his teams back together, Paul was pressed 
in the spirit. Different word, isn't it? I like to look up words. I like to look up their meanings. Meanings. The word pressed means totally consumed. Paul wasn't in an uproar here like he was so disturbed by things. Paul's spirit was so revived that he was just utterly consumed with the need to preach to the Jewish people that Jesus was Christ. Remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is his title, Messiah, the anointed one. He just had such a burden because you see, in this city of Corinth, given to idolatry as Athens was, but in such an immoral, licentious way, the Jewish people would have been that little one bastion of purity. For, for all of their faults or shortcomings, anything we might want to point out, uh, those that went to the synagogue that were faithful, that they believed the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. They believed the scriptures. They believed they were God's chosen people. They believed that they were called for a purpose and a reason. And they would have been the ones staying right as best they could from all of the impurity around them but they still didn't know Christ as Savior. And Paul just had such a burden. He wanted these people to acknowledge and know Christ as their Savior. And, and, and Silas and Timotheus came, and, and Paul's spirit is more convinced than ever before. We gotta tell these people how to get saved. We gotta tell these people all about the Lord. Is that what our influence is doing to other people? And so uh, he is testifying to them that Jesus was Christ. Verse number six, and when they, that's the Jews in the synagogue, opposed themselves and blasphemed, they did not take his message well. I have been saved for almost 51 years now. 1972, I got saved. I've been in the ministry uh, for nearly, this will be 43 years of full-time ministry. Over that time, I have preached to tens of thousands of people. I have personally witnessed to thousands of people during that time. If I could, I would make everybody I talk to get saved because I know it's right. I know it's the best thing that can ever happen, knowing, knowing for sure you're going to spend eternity in heaven, knowing Christ as your Savior is such an awesome thing, and I would want that for everybody but we can't make anybody get saved, can we? We just can't. That has to be an act of the will of every individual person. Moms and dads, wouldn't it be awesome if we could make our kids get saved? Wouldn't that be great? Then our grandkids after that, but we can't. All we can do is present Christ to them, live Christ before them, and pray that they understand. You all know my grandson, Tommy. Uh, he's he's eight, about eight and a half years old, almost. Uh, Tommy's autistic, and we don't know where his understanding is. Um, but uh, remember Valentine's Day, standing out here in his red suit, handing out a piece of chocolate to everybody after the service Sunday morning, saying, uh, Happy Valentine's Day. God loves you. Did you know that on that day, he started asking his mom, Mom, what is God? What is God? I pray so much for that little boy that God will help him understand who God is and what salvation's all about. 
and, and I, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I don't just pray that for Tommy. I, I've prayed it for my, well, one twin is here. I don't know where the other one is. Uh, I've got uh, 10 grandchildren, number 11 coming. I pray all the time. But you see, they have to choose for themselves. So Paul, has, he's just pressed in the spirit now. And he's just gone back to the synagogue with a brand new renewed passion, testifying to them that Jesus is the Christ and they don't want to hear it. The Bible says they opposed themselves. That's a, that's a weird phraseology, if, you, if, if weird's a good word. They opposed themselves. What it literally means is they set themselves in battle array. Now, remember, his habit was he showed them from the scriptures. They claim to believe the Bible. But they're of the mindset, I know what I believe, don't confuse me with the facts. They don't, push comes to shove, we don't care what the scriptures say. We're going to believe what we want to believe. And they've now set themselves in battle array against Paul. They, they just want to debate. They want to argue. They're not listening to the scriptures. They're ignoring the scriptures. The Bible says they went on to the, to the level of blaspheming. Blaspheming is when you speak evil of God. That's what blasphemy is. And they are now actually blaspheming because they're denying the God who wrote the scriptures they claim to believe. Jesus Christ was the son of God. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. They're blaspheming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is a tense moment uh, within this synagogue that Paul's been meeting with them uh, and so forth. And uh, they are, I mean, they're just letting him know in no uncertain terms. The battle lines are drawn and they're fighting back. And notice what the Bible says. Uh, when they opposed themselves in blaspheme, he shook his raiment. The idea of shaking crumbs off the raiment, shaking the dirt off, shaking the dust off. Um, it's a visual thing. And said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. You've made a choice. You've condemned yourselves. You will forever regret the choice you're making today. Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. I've done what I was supposed to do. We'll, we'll see this in a, in a couple more chapters in Acts 20. Uh, he said, I am clean from the blood of all men. Everywhere Paul went, he told everybody came in contact with about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Nobody that I've come in contact with can ever stand before God and say I, that I didn't tell them about Jesus. I'm pure from the blood of all men. Paul said, I'm clean. I've shown you the truth. Your blood be upon your own heads. From henceforth, from this day forward, I will go unto the Gentiles. Now, he's not giving up on the Jewish people. That doesn't mean that he'll not speak to Jewish people about it again. In fact, we'll see as the, as the book of Acts unfolds, next place he goes, he'll go back into the next synagogue and try again. He's saying, here in the city of Corinth, I'm done preaching here in the synagogue. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Do you realize for the Jewish people what a slap in the face that was? Because they considered the Gentiles barbarians. They considered them unclean. They considered them dogs, literally. That's, that's what they considered them. Paul said, you have rejected. I'm going to take the scriptures you're rejecting, 
and I'm going to go take it out to the Gentiles. This has become a very tense situation. Now in Thessalonica, that was the end of the ministry when they kicked him out of the synagogue, started the riot. He left the city after three weeks. That's not how it's going to play out in Corinth. But Paul has made it known, I am going to go to the Gentiles. And that to them is basically the worst thing that he could ever say. Uh, notice, please, verse 7. He departed thence and ended, entered into a certain man's house named Justice, which is a Greek name, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. Um, have you ever, how many have been down to New York City? You notice that everything there is built right beside each other, on top of each other, all that kind of stuff. Uh, oftentimes, there's, there's, there's hardly any space between buildings. Sometimes they join together. Uh, I preach in Brooklyn uh, in, in the Park Slope area. There's a, a, the 6th Avenue Baptist Church, and they have the famous brownstones. And it's just block after block, and these houses are built literally uh, adjoining each other, the con you know, that type of thing. So here you got this synagogue, and right next door, it, uh, I mean, they share the same wall. Is this guy's house, his name is Justice. Uh, they don't want to hear the gospel anymore in the synagogue, so he goes and stays in Justice's house, and that becomes his base of operations. Is that cool or what? Who says God does not have a sense of humor? Um, and in verse 8, though, it was not without fruit. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. Though the multitude of the people said, we don't want, we don't want this gospel preached here. They rejected it, and it was fierce, and it was nasty. It was tense. The ruler of the synagogue said, I don't care what y'all believe. The Bible says this man is right. And he got saved, and he's now going to church next door in the house of justice. Uh, you and I need to be willing to just stand up and say, this is what the Bible says, and if y'all don't want that, that's fine. But me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to stop there uh, because God's got to, uh, going to come and talk to Paul. This had to have been somewhat discouraging. We're going to look next week uh, at a verse in Romans. We're going to see how much Paul loved his own people. He was a Jewish man, born and raised. He loved his people. He had a burden to see them get saved. This turnabout in Corinth was not something that he was excited about or happy about. It was something that would have torn him apart on the inside. And God's going to have a private message for Paul. God's going to encourage his heart, but we need to stop there. Uh, we're going to pray in a moment. We need some help. If you can help us tear down the auditorium for school tomorrow, uh, we'd appreciate your help on that. I know some of you got to get your kiddos and get them home, but otherwise, if you can help us, we'd appreciate it. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you on Wednesday night.